Hello, welcome. This is Liberty King. This is the Who's That Girl podcast, and I'm so happy that you guys are here listening today to part two of the early years, where we're going to basically discuss the second part of those years right before Madonna became famous. And on episode one, we left off, um, where I kind of talked about how Madonna had been... um, had formed this band uh, with the Gilroys. Well, the the Gilroys are said to already have had this band going, um, and Madonna kind of joined herself, joined the band, if you will, um, having some moments with um, Dan, where I think she was romantically involved, and this really kind of fizzled out at some point by 1981. She and the Gilroys had fallen out. The Breakfast Club had um, really not done very much, or at least not what she was anticipating that they would get to do. And so for her, um, it was time to move on. I think Madonna really often would, um, she would kind of get what she needed from something. And if it wasn't going the direction she wanted it to go, she would basically kind of bow out. And um, they did have, you know, a few tracks. If you go on YouTube, you can find pretty much any of these um, that you would be interested in hearing. There are some which are really good. Um, I think, you know, I mean, as good as they can be, but some which Madonna really was said to have written herself, which if you think about it, this is like a new thing for her, songwriting. So, it's something that is pretty impressive if someone who'd never really done it before, you know, maybe she'd sang here and there, but honestly, it had not really become, you know, she didn't go to New York to be a singer. She went to New York to be a dancer and that she just decided out of nowhere, you know, okay, well, guess what I'm going to sing. This is just what was, this is what's so surprising to me, I think. Um, she was back on the Lower East Side with Stephen Bray, who she'd actually kind of imported, if you will, to New York or told him, you know, come to New York, I need a drummer. And, um, this is like around 1981, um, which again, to me is just, I have to say it again, because honestly, if you think about this world, 1981 Madonna is there, like, what is she doing? you know, she's not famous yet, but she is like working her, her ass off trying to get famous. She's doing pretty much, uh, you know, everything that I would imagine you would want to do. And you're just self-promotion, you know, going to clubs every night, going out dancing every night, you know, trying to, to get people to notice you, um, making demo tapes or, you know, she's said to have lived off of popcorn. And, um, I always, I think about when, you know, she must have been, you know, not only physically hungry, but just the hunger within her to be successful probably is what fueled her through many of her days in early New York. And that grit that Madonna has, you know, was really reflected in the grit of the streets of New York City. It's just what I imagine when I think about it. And, um, you know, she's decided she's gonna, she's gonna be somebody, she's gonna be famous, and, you know, pretty much no one can stop her. Um, One day she finds herself in these 
studios uh, at, at what was known as Gotham Records, and she kind of had an interaction with somebody called Adam in an elevator, I think, where she told him, you know, hey, you look like John Lennon, and I think this was her in, and he figured, you know, right away that she probably wanted something from him. Um, and he did end up hooking her, her up with Camille Barbone as her manager. And uh, Camille is um, someone who right away could see something in Madonna, could see that this girl was going to be something, you know, that she knew she was a star from the moment she saw her perform. She knew she was going to be somebody. She knew she was going to be a star. So, um, you know, they ended up signing Madonna that she was going to kind of pay her these, uh, you know, well, not much money, but she's going to give her some money, you know, so she can live every month and, or, you know, weekly, I think, um, in return, Camille would, um, you know, help get her gigs, figure out how to get her a demo, um, and get, get some promotion going for Madonna. And, um, and, and she did end up kind of mothering her as well. She took care of Madonna and she did things like, you know, there's the story about how Madonna was having a lot of problems with her wisdom teeth and she needed to have all four or, or wanted to, I'm not sure, have all four of them removed at once and was apparently like the biggest baby um, at the pain and, and which it is painful because I, like I've had it done myself. I did all four at once as well. And I know, you know, of course, it's nice to have somebody to take care of you, but but Madonna really like needed mothering. And um, again, you know, we can kind of talk about about the psychology of that or what it was that the role that Camille really filled. Um, but Madonna, and Madonna wasn't shy about, you know, having these kind of disagreements and, and maybe that's putting it mildly about what she thought Camille should be providing to her, um, not just about the wisdom teeth, but just about in general, like, you know, you know, Madonna needed, um, constant reassurance and, and, but, but also was, you know, seeking for, for Camille to, to really push her, her, um, her name out there to get these gigs going for her. And, and in ways she did a lot of things that would kind of be deemed diva, if you will. Um, and, this isn't, this isn't so far from the Madonna we know today, right? Because Madonna likes people to, um, you know, or she has a lot of people who work for and help her. Um, it doesn't mean that she treats them like dirt or whatever. And who's to say really that, that, that Madonna really treated Camille at this time like dirt. But, um, I think Madonna was, she knew what she wanted. She knew what she was going to do. And Camille had to come along for the ride. And, and, and as you find out later, they ended a little bit bitterly, and so it's possible that maybe Camille has some, uh, like in the stories that she tells about those days with Madonna, that possibly um, she's got a lot of hurt, you know, about what happened. Um, she gets a gig at the um, at a place called the U.S. Blues there in in New York in mid 1981, and um, there is. A cool story about that that I found that she actually did perform Sidewalk Talk, which is one of her early songs. Um, I, I mean, if you are a fan, you know Sidewalk Talk, but she really only sings the chorus on that 
in the recorded version because it's actually another artist. This is a Jelly Bean Benitez song. Um, and Jelly Bean was a DJ that Madonna later later ended up with. Um, under Gotham Records, she actually had a demo tape and um, she was she was doing pretty well I mean as far as the songs were concerned she had to fight to get Stephen Bray as her drummer because um she didn't like the drummer I guess um that Camille was trying to sort like to get as to be Madonna's drummer and I think there was like a rule like no one sleeps with Madonna and Madonna promptly decided to according to stories legends right that Madonna slept with the drummer so that she could get him kicked out and bring in Stephen Bray which is a legendary thing if you think about it because honestly um without Stephen Bray um you know the first album wouldn't have had as many tracks I think as it did because a lot of those first tracks were written with Stephen Bray um but yeah one of the tracks that was on the um the demo that that Gotham had going around was called High Society and it's go it goes like this I just love the early vocals that she's she's giving out. I mean, honestly, you can hear she belts. She had this sort of influence by Pat Benatar, Chrissy Hind, these early rocker girls. Um, I shouldn't even say girls, women, really. But, you know, it was it was not exactly clear that Madonna was going to be a pop star at that time. Really, she, she's looking more in the rock side of things. And the way her voice to me sounds so raw, it's it's just... A really um, interesting way how Madonna could actually her voice can go so many different directions she's okay singing rock she's great singing pop she's in dance songs you know and and she shines totally and even more she can do you know she could even do country I think if she wanted to she should not but yeah she could um, and, and so, yeah, I really love the way that those early songs kind of sound and, and just that rawness to her voice. Um, so she ends up at some point, um, you know, nothing is happening with Gotham. She's she's just getting really impatient, which is the story at that, at that time of Madonna's life. It's, it's like she has something to prove. She's got to get it done. She has to be famous. What is she going to do? Like, it's it's... And I mean, like I said, this could this could have just come down to being hungry. And I'm not talking just, you know, hungry for fame. I'm talking like really being hungry. Um, you know, she's living in apartments that are kind of dingy. You know, we're talking Lower East Side at this time. And, and it's said and even and of course, I'll tell you, like, I'll be honest. As a fan, like I devour, I devour all of these stories. I, I, I want to know more and I'll read books. I even read Christopher's book and even Christopher's mentions Christopher's her brother 
which if you know that for a very long time they had a they had a working relationship in addition of course to their familial tie but um Christopher and her Christopher mentions having visited her to try to live with her actually because he was going to try to make it as a dancer at some point um that you know she's in a roach infested apartment even Camille Barbone talks about that like just just seedy apartments and um you know, she wants out. She's hungry for something more and she's hungry for it to happen and it has to happen then. Um, and, and in really, if in hindsight, if you think about it, this is 1981. This is just two years or so before really things start to get hot for her career-wise. So let's talk about this, this what's going on in 1982. So in 1982, she's um, she meets this this girl called this woman called Erica Bell and Erica Bell is a club owner um she owns a a club called Lucky Strike and uh she also meets Martin Burgoyne um there at this at this club and she's you know they're her really good friends she and Erica are dancers they love and they're going to they're going to Danceteria and different places in downtown New York just like not only dancing, but also taunting people. Um, Erica Bell talks about, you know, the the way that they would torture, torture people with like, you know, um, trying to get their numbers and then throwing them on the ground in front of them and, uh, you know, cool little stories like that. And, um, but her and Erica were really close friends and they, the, at Danceteria actually, they find, um, Madonna comes in contact with this DJ called Mark Kamen's. And Mark Kamen's is kind of history um, legend because if it wasn't for Mark Kamen's and whatever relationship that Madonna and he had, uh, because we know now that, you know, it's possible that there were, they were more than just business associates, um, but she got him to play her demo for everybody. And, um, he actually played the whole thing supposedly, and it was a huge hit. Everybody loved it. Um, I mean, people were on the floor dancing and it was, you know, just a big hit. And, um, it's not, I think the same version that ended up on the album, the first album, Madonna, but nevertheless, everybody was in, um, in on it are very very excited about it and uh the dance floor was was lit as they say and yeah so ended up that mark caymans actually is the one who took the demo to a, an executive at sire records or somehow they got into sire records um and it eventually made its way to seymour stein who at that point was um so excited about it he ended up um, figuring out a way to get Madonna, um, her first record deal. He wanted to sign her so bad that he had her come to the hospital where she signed, um, there while he was, I think he'd had heart surgery or something like that. Um, unfortunately though, for Stephen Bray, he was kind of shafted in the production of the first single and apparently they didn't speak for two years after that. But yeah, um, the first successful single is officially everybody and apparently ain't no big deal failed and ain't no big deal. I mean, look, if you're coming out of the disco, uh, from the 1970s, you know, 
and you're trying to get it going in the 1980s, Ain't No Big Deal has such a huge disco sound and really we're getting a little bit more gritty by the 1980s. Um, at least in comparison with the other songs that Madonna had early on, Ain't No Big Deal really doesn't fit. And um, even with the songs compared to The Breakfast Club, with the songs that she did for her demo, um, it's just not as pop. It's more disco. And so it really didn't, it just, it wasn't successful. And this is the one that they thought actually would be successful, but it wasn't. Um, everybody was the one that ended up being the, mo the more successful one. They did also release um, Physical Attraction, which is the second single. And Physical Attraction was also a hit and then they decided that you know they needed to kind of because apparently people were surprised that Madonna was a white woman they all thought the LA execs people had thought that she was black when so when they this white girl walked in they were completely like what so they decided not to put her face on the cover of the single which is interesting to me because I never felt like that but listening but I don't really think about those things anyway um, and yeah, the rest is truly history because after that, um, that was 1982, 1983, um, you know, this is also the dawning of MTV. They decided to make the video. The video for everybody is just kind of Madonna dancing, I think with her two dancers and maybe some, cause she would do these live, um, kind of shows where she was singing to a backing track, which is fine. Um, it didn't look I, you know, at that point, people who on the videos were, you're talking like Van Halen and, you know, girls on cars and these types of videos. And what are they going to do to really get, there's really no one like Madonna at this time, you know, in pop and, or in dance or in, yes, there are disco queens. Yes, there are women who are successful, Donna Summer and, but this is the big this is like the beginning of these sugar sweet, like singing little young girls who get famous really fast overnight and they become a huge hit. And who would know that somebody like Madonna, you know, this cute little girl from the Midwest, goes on to be the biggest star in the world. And um, it's not even clear. Yes, a lot of these people that, you know, you watch on interviews and things like that, it's not, they say, yeah, I knew she was going to be somebody. Well, there may be some truth to that, but I feel as though it, it couldn't, you couldn't have foreseen the, the power that she could eventually have in entertainment business. I mean, overall, like, Yes, there's people who get famous and they're really powerful. and But she changed so much. She changed the sound of music. She changed the way women were viewed in, in music. She changed the history, literally, like as she went, what was acceptable. And things that she did and were and was in trouble for in, let's say, 1985 are kind of like... Mary Poppins stuff in in 2018. You know, this is it's so it's so interesting how shocking things were then um to what we are given now and it's like you can't you can't make this you could never repeat that. You could never repeat the success that that was. You could never repeat 
what that was like. You can never um, explain how that magic all happened. I really believe in destiny that things happen for a reason. And I honestly feel, you know, she was put on this earth for the thing that she does. Um, and she just had, she, she made the choices that would lead her down the roads that she needed to go to fulfill the destiny that she ended up having to fulfill. Um, I know that she probably thinks about it all the time. I think about it a lot and I'm just me, <laughs> but I'm so fascinated by it because I feel like it, it, without her, what we know today wouldn't be true. Without her, we wouldn't know the, the power that fame has, um, the, the ways that women have the ability now to express themselves. And um, we're still struggling with that. I think women do, but we have the, um, we have the luxury, I think now, thanks to Madonna, that we don't have to worry as much, um, that, that maybe that one day we can have, um, our voice be as clear as a man's voice or as accepted and not just some sex pot little, you know, that that's all we really have to present to the world. So yeah, that's that's part two, I think, because I've really now covered right up until the moment that, um, or right at the moment where Madonna really gets, gets big. And um, you can't, you can't write a history like that again, folks. It's just too good. So I'm really excited because I just got a um, response from Guy Guido, who is directing a movie called Madonna and the Breakfast Club. And this is about the time in Madonna's life when she was just working with the Gilroys. And it, it, I'm not exactly sure if it's just a it's full documentary or if it's um, like documentary and... Uh, enacted scenes but I'm hoping to get a real good interview with him so stay tuned um, subscribe please give me a like give me a review give me a rating um, everything helps I'm I'm very excited to be doing this I have so many good ideas I have, I'm gonna be meeting with and interviewing fans um, and I'm just going to get better and on our next episode I well, I haven't decided yet exactly what I'm going to talk about. I'm thinking about talking about the psychology of some of Madonna's um, moves in her life. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Stay tuned and you'll find out, right? It'll be a surprise. Have a great afternoon or day or whatever you're experiencing. And thank you so much for listening to the Who's That Girl podcast. Not every single move that I make.